Uh, chapter 1. We'll finish Romans chapter 1 this morning. Uh, we will be in verses 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. This is the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only practice them, but give approval to those who practice them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I don't know if you know this, but we live in a quite marvelous world. Have you ever taken the time to appreciate the world that we live in? Have you ever just stopped and tried to appreciate this? The act of breathing. And every little thing that has to go into that act. There's oxygen in the air. We, our brains, these complex supercomputers fire off electric impulses to our lungs, our muscles. Even when we're not conscious of it, when you're asleep, involuntary action, right? You're always breathing. Causing our lungs, our diaphragm, everything to inhale. And we suck in oxygen. That oxygen goes into our lungs, it gets into our blood. 
That air then takes the carbon dioxide we don't need and is expelled. That goes out into the air and to the atmosphere, which will eventually go to the plants, which through the process of photosynthesis take in that carbon dioxide. And I'm, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to go through all that process. But eventually, you know, causes what causes the leaves to be green. And the leaves expel what? Oxygen. So that we can continue to do all the breathing that we need to do. It is simply amazing. And that's just the act of breathing. What does it take for the seasons to happen? The earth on its axis rotating around the sun. The moon, which causes tide changes, affects marine life, DNA, gravity, so on and so forth. All these things about our wonderful, wonderful world. It's truly amazing. How has all of this come to be? What do we see as we look at this world? What do we see in creation? Does it matter what we see in creation? Paul, as we've been going through Romans, is continuing in his argument. Uh, we saw as he, from the very beginning, as he came and he gave his introduction, he gave his section on thanks, and last week he set up the theme of his letter, and we're transitioning now into the first major section of Romans. It starts here in 118, it'll go all the way through chapter 4, verse 25. And the theme throughout this section, this forest chapters is the righteousness of God as it relates to faith. But now you may stop for a second and you say, well, Daniel, what you just read today doesn't sound about the righteousness of God as it relates to faith. It sounded a lot like wrathful judgment. And certainly, as we'll go on, we'll see righteousness and faith over and over again. In the course of these forest chapters, it'll be said righteousness or justifier or righteous. These words will be said 24 times. Faith will be said 27 times. And almost always, these words are said together in conjunction. God's righteousness as the righteousness of faith. But immediately, from the very beginning... God is establishing the universal reign of sin. Why would he begin by establishing sin, wrath, judgment? Paul here is preparing us for the message of God's righteousness. And to do this, he needs us to understand, understand that sin is a real, ruling, dominant force. Sin is a real thing. And if we do not believe that sin is a real thing, then we cannot understand the righteousness of God as it relates to faith. We must understand that sin is real and ever-present. And all men, all men are guilty 
and are in danger of the wrath of God. The Gentile at this point might stand up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Of course, we're talking about in Paul's time. I guess we could do it as the Gentile today, but we're living a little bit different time. But the Gentile of Paul's day would stand up and say, look, we don't, we don't have any idea about your God. We don't know what he expects or anything else. Why should it be fair that we could be condemned with everybody else? We don't know. Uh, the Jew might come in and claim, hey, we're under the covenant. We're good, right? We got this down. We're okay. And Paul's going to come to both of these and say, you are guilty. And so we turn to our text today, and I want us to see three things. We're going to see, first, God revealed. Second, we're going to see God rejected. And then third and finally, we'll see God gives. God revealed, God rejected, and God gives. We begin here in chapter 18 by looking at this wonderful and beautiful little word called for. For. When you see a word like that, you have to understand that it's relating to something else. Remember, we just got finished saying in verse 18 or 17, the righteous shall live by faith for because therefore the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Paul is explaining the previous statement that the righteous will live by faith. There is a real wrath and judgment that is being talked about here. But it is important for us to consider this question. Why is wrath or the reality of wrath so important? Why should we even talk about wrath? Throughout the Bible, wrath is an aspect of God's person. When you think about your God, do you often envision him as a God of wrath? Is that often a way we like to talk about God? I worship a God of wrath. That's not how we often talk about God, is it? No, what do we say? Oh, he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. And these are all certainly true. But he is also a God of wrath. Often in the Old Testament, his wrath is kindled against the nations, against even his own people. It's a present reality at all times. Paul gives two reasons for the wrath of God. He says, against all ungodliness and against all unrighteousness. The wrath of God is pointed at these who are ungodly and unrighteous. One commentator uh, said that this can be in a way compared uh, to the two parts of the, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first four, the first half of the Ten Commandments being that which God requires of man, godliness. And the second part, what God, or God requires man to man. And therefore everything, how men are to live before God and before man. And he says his, his wrath is revealed against those who live in ungodliness and unrighteousness. All people, all people are under the imprisoning effects of sin. But wait, how is this fair? 
how is it fair that all men, without exception, are under the wrath of God? What about the South American tribe or the tribe in Africa or that remote, distant person who has never had a chance to hear the gospel? What about those? Well, what does Paul say? Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Paul is beginning to state his argument, an argument that is in fact fact. They see God. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, if you're alive on this earth, you have seen God. You know something about God because God has revealed himself to you. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. The world around us cries out. I am not a random happenstance of cells colliding in the ether. Look at the details of everything. There is one who intelligently created all things. And they have seen him. They have witnessed him. But they have suppressed this truth. They failed to embrace it. In view here is, for Paul, is all who sin. All who sin, all who see God and reject him are subject to the wrath of God. They are responsible for their own situation and they are without excuse because they have seen God. God has been made plain to them and they have rejected God. God in his being, in in a, a real sense, is hidden from us, but God in his essence, in his communicable attributes is seen much of him is seen in our creation we cannot look at this world and deny this very fact but daily daily people perceive God in creation and they suppress the truth Paul in essence here he's talking here about natural revelation we see god in nature and yet it only leads to death natural revelation is universally rejected people see it and they turn from god and they turn to something else to a god of their own making and paul in essence we go back to that word in verse 18 for paul had been telling us about the righteousness of faith But he also said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I desperately, I'm longing to get to you. I want to get to you and I want you to know this truth because guess what? God is all around you. But natural revelation is not enough. 
And God's wrath is kindled against you. And so I want to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. They need this gospel because they see God and they reject God. This is our next point. They see him in creation and they reject him. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. How many scientists around here are out in the world today claim to be wise? They claim to have all knowledge, all basis for thought. They are sure in their study and their thinking and in their reasoning mind. They have reached the pinnacle of all mental capacities or whatever you want to say. And yet Paul says here they claim wisdom. But they are actually futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It should not be a surprise to us when God is seen in creation and then rejected that man would then make an idol of that creation. That's been done in many ways. I think one of the ways it is done is that man looks at creation and he boasts and he magnifies in his capacity, his own capacity to reason. And he says, because I can reason, therefore I am the pinnacle of creation. And therefore there is nothing greater than me. People see God and they turn from God to a God of their own making. Revelation leads to destruction. Natural revelation leads to destruction. And they have indeed rejected. And they have turned to idolatry. They have exchanged the image of God for the image of beast and of man. They have ascribed to man and to beast that which should only be given to God alone. And we can see this. You all these different occultic religions out there, I, I use the word religion very wi- loosely, but like the Wiccan who worship nature and naturalistic forces, or even we, as we go to the Old Testament, we look at Egyptians who uh, had, their God were literally beasts, or other religions that turn to crystals or various things like this for healings, and they rest in that which is created and not in the Creator. And those are easy things for us to look at and point the finger at and go, those ridiculous people. Why would they ever do such a thing? It's ridiculous, right? And yet we, do the same thing every day. I trust in you. You're going to pay my bills and you're going to feed my mouth. You're going to buy me my new things and do all these other things. I need you. We've worked in his creation. We've cut down trees and turned them into houses. We have forged in the earth metals and we've turned them into cars.
We have worshipped the created and not the creator. We too can easily do the same thing. And Paul now gives us what's going to happen to those who see God and reject God. Verse 24. Therefore, because of these things, because they have seen God and rejected God, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because the exchange the truth about God for a lie. Because they have worshipped the created and not the creator, they have rejected God. And so God hands them over to their uncleanness. I want you to understand something about this, the nature of this handing over. Many would like to say, well, it's just God passively stepping back. A child about to touch the stove, I'm not going to do anything, just going to let him touch the stove. That is not the nature of this handing over. The nature of this handing over is a judge who comes and says, this one I am condemning to death. It is an active thing. They have rejected him and he is actively bringing his wrath to them. God hands over the sinner to ever increasing sin. And he does this because they have seen truth and instead they embrace the lie. It is a result of their choice. God made himself known and they actively chose to reject him. And in his place, they put idols. They have worshipped. They have practiced idolatry. Again, we see a natural progression here for Paul. He says, seeing God and rejecting God leads to worshiping uh, the nature and creation. And as we worship nature and creation, this leads to all sorts of perversions. First, he says that they are basically, they become sexually immoral. It leads to lust. Their hearts are impure dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And we see this in Israel over and over again, don't we? When they reject God, when they turn to idols, what do they start practicing in? Jeff very greatly took us through the kings and the kings of Israel as they brought in the Asherah poles, as the Molech and all these other things. And they practiced temple prostitution and they sacrificed their babies on altars. When they turn from God and they worship the created, they turn to sexual immorality. <coughs> They have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. This goes on, he says, and it progresses to them, uh, to lead them, leads them to dishonorable passions. Those that are against nature, it's called uncleanness. uncleanness. Paul here begins talking about homosexuality. Women sleeping with women and men sleeping with men and this, quite frankly, we, we all know this is something that's not popular to talk about today. 
It's a hard thing to talk about. Our culture, our society has accepted it as okay. And if we speak against it, then we're bigots, we're hate, we, we bring forth hate speech. And the, and the world begins to tell us, and even churches have begun to embrace this notion, we must change our beliefs so that people don't think badly of us. But Paul makes a big deal of it, and therefore we have to consider it. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations for, with women for, and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. They have seen God in nature and they have rejected that nature and they have perverted that nature. And in these sexual sins, he says they're burning in them. They burned in the lust and the passion of their hearts. They burned in their desires and they did what is shameful. He says they will receive the just penalty for their error. Now, at this point, we may be tempted to become puffed up in ourselves. Well, at least that's not me, right? Well, let's see what else Paul says. And, Paul, why couldn't you just stop there? Why did you have to add an and? And, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Paul now turns to sins of inhumanity. We'll see man's hatred for other men. And this whole list again is pointing to idolatry. He hands them over to a worthless mind. Their minds have rejected God in nature and so their minds become worthless. They were filled with all manner of unrighteous evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Now it starts to get a little hairy, I think. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Uh, There's a sense here we have to understand where it's not just sexual sins. He's talking about so much more. He's talking about you and me. How many of you have been boastful? How many of you ever spoke bad about someone? How many have ever gossiped about someone? How many of you ever disobeyed your parents? I know I've done that a few times even still in my old age, are foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This is all of us. It's envy, it's slander, it's arrogance, and all of these things are products of the worthless mind, the mind that has been given over. We know it's wrong, and yet we do it anyway. They have seen God. They have known something about him, and they know these acts are wrong. 
their ultimate punishment is death. This is the death of Genesis 3. If you eat of this tree, you will surely die. This is the divine, excuse me, the divinely imposed judgment of God. They have knowledge, but it's limited. It's confined to nature. And therefore, it is immediately perverted. John Calvin says it this way. It is therefore in vain that so many burning lamps shine for us in the workmanship of the universe to show forth the glory of its author. Although they bathe us wholly in their radiance, yet they can of themselves in no way lead us into the right path. Surely they strike some sparks, but before their fuller light shines forth, these are smothered. But although we lack the natural ability to mount up upon the pure and clear knowledge of God, all excuse is cut off because the fault of dullness is within us. We cannot be dull. God has revealed himself to us. He is all around us. He is in nature. He is in the very air that we breathe, in the earth and in the rain and in all things. We cannot reject him. To reject him is to reject his truth. I have given you a list of things from homosexuality to ruthlessness to disobedient to parents. And no matter what your sin is, no matter the sins that you struggle with, there still remains the gospel. Yes, if we reject him, he will give us over to our lies, to our sinful desires, to our perverted hearts. But the goal of all this for Paul, his desire that he has, is that they would not remain ignorant, but that he would be able to come and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them so that they would not be futile in their thinking, but they would know who Jesus is, that they would know what he has done for them and for you. We stand apart from God without excuse. We also stand apart from God, incapable of reconciliation. But thanks be to God that he has sent his Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might be reconciled to him. Have you embraced the righteousness of God? If the answer to that question is yes, then brothers and sisters, you are free from sin. And as Jesus said, go and sin no more. Live in your righteous identity. But more than that, live with the urgency of Paul. We're about here in a moment when I finish to sing the wonderful Christmas song. It's I know is one of my kids' favorites, and we're going to sing it every uh, Sunday at the end here for the next few weeks. And I've, I've done this very intentionally. That hymn, of course, is Go Tell It on the Mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. 
Have you heard his word? Have you seen Jesus Christ revealed in his gospel? Have you surrendered your life to him? Do you know the condition of your heart apart from him? Do you know the condition of this world apart from him? Then go tell it. Without ceasing, without stopping. What is the point of the Christmas season? If all we do is, I love our decorations and they're wonderful and beautiful. But if we just decorate our church, what good is it? If we decorate our homes, what good is it? If we give each other presents and we say, well, this is remembering baby Jesus, but that's all we do, what good is it? If we come to this time every year and all it is is to make us feel good and give presents today, December 6th is the Feast of St. Nicholas, right? Where we remember that pious individual, St. Nicholas, who would go around putting coins in the shoes of kids who were in need. The story grew and grew and grew, and now it's Christmas time, and old St. Nick and Santa Claus, Santa Claus. What good is all of this if it doesn't flow out? I heard a story recently, and I really can't remember who told, me, told it to me, but the, they were talking about a church who was talking about doing a Christmas morning service. And the people said, well, we just don't have time for that. Do you realize how humorous that is? We don't have time on Jesus. The day we've decided to celebrate Jesus' birth, to take time to go celebrate Jesus' birth. It's, it's lunacy in a sense, isn't it? Whether it's Jesus' birth or not, we don't have time for it. We've made the season about something different, and yet we're to go out because the world, this is the condition of the world, apart from Jesus Christ. They are depraved in their thinking. They are rejected. They have rejected and are rejected by God. And they are subject to his wrath. This is where we're at. We, as believers, should feel the greatest sense of shame if we have no desire to tell others about Jesus Christ. Because we have the words of truth. Paul has the words of truth and he says, I got to get to you. I don't want you to be uninformed. Would we be like Paul? Would we bring the words of life that are so desperately needed? Understanding who we were apart from Jesus and who the world is even now. They need him. Brothers and sisters, they need him. They need the word of the gospel. How will they hear without someone to preach? How will they know if someone doesn't tell them? Let us be those who go out and tell. Let us be those who faithfully rely on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this message or these, this passage even today. We understand who we are apart from you. We understand who the world is. Would we be those who love your gospel and are actively, daily telling people the good news that we have? Work this in as we pray in Jesus Christ's holy name.
Amen.